the Jewish nation has been shaken by Jesus. But soon the shaking reaches a whole new level as Gentiles receive the Holy Spirit on The Bible Brief. Pick up your Bible and read along with us today. Learning happens better with a Bible in your hand. Cornelius was terrified. But the angelic messenger continued speaking to him and said this, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa, and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. Then the angel was gone, though the terror in the Roman leader's heart remained. Though still recovering from that magnificent presence, Cornelius would obey this messenger, and soon he sent his servants off to find this Simon Peter in Joppa. Saul is blind no longer. In fact, he sees as he's never seen before. The scriptures have been opened to him, and finally he sees the one to whom they all point, Jesus. Jesus is the answer to the Hebrew Bible. It asks, who will defeat the ancient serpent from the garden? Jesus will. Who will provide a permanent atonement covering for sin? Jesus will. Who will rule over Israel and the world in victory? Jesus will. Now that he sees it, he can't unsee it. Jesus is the goal to which the Bible points. The one he formerly persecuted was the answer he was looking for in all his searching of the scriptures. And now that he'd found the answer, he would spread that answer far and wide. There in Damascus, after he'd met that disciple Ananias and other disciples in the city, he immediately began sharing the good news in the area. And he did this to everyone's amazement. They said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of all those who called upon the name of Jesus? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. The transformation of Saul was so dramatic that the people in the city found it almost unbelievable. Surely some even wondered if it was an elaborate ruse to fish out the followers of the way there in the city. But as time passed and Saul didn't change, they understood that it wasn't a ruse. It was the real deal. Saul had become a believer. It surely didn't surprise Saul when he began to be the target of the campaign that he was so involved in before. And soon it reached his ears that the Jews of Damascus were trying to kill him. This persecution of the former persecutor was only beginning. This time, Saul would escape by being lowered in a basket through the city wall. He'd escape the gaze of those Jewish lookouts at the gates. The man who'd left Jerusalem with official orders from the high priest, was now a fugitive from the very same religious leaders. It would be about three years from his conversion into a disciple that he would finally be able to meet the apostles in Jerusalem. And you can imagine it was quite a meeting. These were some of the original twelve, and Saul had become the official thirteenth apostle of the church, the final apostle, the final one to whom Jesus appeared to commission him, and send him out to the nations with the gospel. 
Surely he was excited to share this news with the other apostles. And yet, they rebuffed his attempts at meeting. You can understand why. Saul had been breathing threats and murder against them for a long time since that martyrdom of Stephen. He'd been at the forefront of the mission to root out the church from Jerusalem, and now this very same man was trying to get an audience with the ones who he'd previously wanted to jail and kill. And yet, there was a man who took the risk with Saul. He was a benefactor of the early church, who had helped finance the spread of the gospel in the city. And Barnabas personally took Saul to Peter and James, and shared what happened to him on that road to Damascus. Despite their initial hesitation, this visit with Saul apparently won them over, and from then on Saul was welcomed as a brother and began to preach in the name of Jesus in Jerusalem. Surely these disciples were thankful to have such a voice now proclaiming the good news with them in the city, but it wouldn't last for long. Soon, Saul was target number one in Jerusalem, so the other apostles sent him off to Tarsus, the place where he grew up. Saul would go north several hundred miles into modern Turkey. Simon Peter, left in Jerusalem, was surely amazed at the transformation of Saul, and perhaps perplexed in some measure as well. He may have wondered, why the need for another apostle? Why Saul? Why didn't Jesus tell them what he was going to do with Saul? In any case, Peter was glad for the help and glad that Saul was a disciple of Jesus now. Now, for the first few years of the church, Peter had primarily been in and around Jerusalem. But as time continued to march forward, his geographical scope began to widen. Jesus had said to be witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Peter had done a lot in Jerusalem, and now he turned his attention to Judea and Samaria. First, he went northwest of Jerusalem to a town called Lydda, where he healed a paralyzed man before spreading the good news of the kingdom to the city. Then he went to Joppa on the coast of the Mediterranean, where he raised someone from the dead and spread the gospel to the port city. But finally, he would go to a town called Caesarea, up the coastline from Joppa, a place where everything would change for Peter. But he wouldn't go there of his own purpose. No, instead he'd be called there in a most enigmatic way, because God was working on something monumental. For Peter, it started when he was on the housetop of his lodging place in Joppa. He was praying there and his stomach started to rumble with hunger as the meal was being prepared below. And that's when he fell into a trance, a vision of sorts, where he saw something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air, and there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. You can bet Peter was perplexed. In this vision, he was told to eat all these kinds of animals that Jews were forbidden to eat in the law given to them by God. Animals that were called unclean or common, just like people of the other nations were to the Jews. Peter understood that this vision of these foods was from the Lord, 
but he just couldn't understand why. Why was he told to eat what was unclean? Now while Peter was pondering the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house, and to hear what you have to say. You can imagine the gears turning in Peter's head. Hmm. A Roman military leader has sent for him because an angel told the man that Peter had a message for him. Hmm. Being commanded to eat unclean animals. Surely there was a relationship between these two. Things began to get clearer on their journey to Caesarea the next day. And when they arrived, Peter the Jew was greeted by a house full of Gentiles with Cornelius leading them. But the greeting by Cornelius surely surprised Peter. Because when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I ask then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago at about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa, and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging at the house of Simon, a tainer by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. God has been planning this encounter, and Peter seems to be playing catch-up with what God has shown him. He understands that he shouldn't call these Gentiles unclean or common as he might have before, but he's still questioning why he's here in the first place. Then Cornelius responds by essentially saying, The angel told me to listen, to hear what you have to say. And it's at this point that Peter finally has everything click. Now he sees it. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. 
and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised Jews who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit was being poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Word spread quickly after Peter's visit to the house of Cornelius in Caesarea. But oddly enough, the whole story wasn't shared, or perhaps wasn't believed. Some who heard thought that Peter was out of line sharing the gospel with Gentiles. Apparently, these believed that the gospel was to be preached to Jews among the nations, and not to the people of the nations. But Peter would soon come to Jerusalem to set the record straight. He told them everything that happened, and he ended with this. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then, God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Peter's last question was the question that hit all of their hearts. If God was doing something, who were they to stand in the way? Could they oppose God if God was pouring out the Holy Spirit on Gentiles as well? Certainly not. The silence in the room when Peter spoke soon turned into worship as all the people there began glorifying God for this amazing turn of events. God was doing something big, something so big that the world would never be the same. The dividing wall between Jew and Gentile was being torn down to form a new unified body. A body whose cornerstone is Jesus, whose foundation is the apostles, and whose life is the Spirit. A body with lots more work to do. The harvest would be more plentiful than they could have ever imagined. Join us next time as Barnabas and Saul begin their island travels to share the gospel where it's never been heard before. The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible. Copyright Bible Literacy Foundation 2023